Welcome to the Confessions of a Codependent podcast. I am your host, Jenny Red Pill Rage Eon. Very, very proud to be bringing you my only non-political podcast. Something a little deeper, something a little bit more meaningful, something I think we can cross party lines in terms of how many of us suffer from the terrible pain of living a life with codependency. On this podcast, we are going to be talking about everything from personality disorders, narcissistic abuse, prevention, narcissistic abuse healing, narcissistic abuse survival. We're going to be talking about dating uh, tips, toxic fawning. We're going to talk about fight, flight, fawn, or freeze responses. Things not to say to someone who is a trauma survivor. We're going to talk about PTSD. Also the difference between PTSD and complex PTSD. We're going to talk about what self-care is, and what it isn't. We are going to be covering so many incredible topics and hopefully discussing tools that can help us along our journey to become healthier, more self-loving individuals who can truly find love in this world, truly find purpose, and truly live with lion-like courage. So shout out to Codependence Anonymous. Go visit the website coda.org. Let's get started. What is up, codependents? Happy to have you back for another round of Confessions of a Codependent. And uh, make sure if you are listening on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere that you're getting your podcast, please leave me a rating, a comment, stars, you know, a couple, a few five possibly <laughs> oh wait i'm a people i'm a recovering people pleaser so let me just go ahead and ask for for what i want if it's not too much trouble if you guys could please leave five stars okay this is a good podcast thank you for being a part of it this is a new podcast and it's already starting to pick up with the plays and i'm excited for that and i think i'm going to probably start advertising this podcast to my customers i i think that um what we struggle with is codependence. A lot of people probably struggle with, or if they don't struggle with it, I'm sure they have known a family member who um, maybe struggled with anxiety or depression or codependency um, and all of the things that come along with that people pleasing, maybe they, they know a family member or a friend who's struggling with it and they can forward them this information that we're all discussing. Oh, I have so much for you. I'm doing a episode about why I'm leaving the red pill community. It's probably going to be two parts. There's a lot to unpack with that, but, um, I look forward to putting that together for you. So be Stay tuned for what's coming soon, okay? It'll take me some more time because I want to cover a lot of topics. Um, so stay tuned for that. Uh, the name of this episode is... Actually, I haven't thought of it yet. Hmm. That's, that my, that's my mind racing right now because I'm just so frustrated. Um, I joined Hinge. Yes, I joined Hinge. I am trying to date again because I'm realizing... A lot of my issues are that I'm just not socialized. I'm not socialized and I've never really practiced boundaries in dating. So it's 
very intentional that I'd be doing this and we'll get back to the boundary setting in a minute. But yeah, it's, it's interesting because the way that I feel right now, and I hate feelings, I hate talking about them, but the way that I feel right now is very motivated, very intentional, but also without the level of hunger and thirst and loneliness and fear of abandonment that I've always felt anytime I've ever used a dating app before in my life. So here's my confession. Yes, I am back. I am uh, using Hinge back on one dating app, just one. I'm not really used doing multiple dating apps. I know some people do it that way. That's just way too much notifications for me. And it is exactly the same as it's always been. You know, I think the first time I used a dating app, I was probably about 25 years old. I think it might have been OkCupid or um, Match.com or, or one of those, right? I, I've, I've used dating apps that were free. I've used dating apps that were paid. Um, I did pay for one month of Hinge just to kind of get at the front of the line, but we're going to get to the problem with that later. But yeah, it's, it's the same as it's always been. It's, it's dozens, if not hundreds of messages. Um, 80% of those men, um, aren't even capable of holding a conversation of the 20% that you do kind of, uh, have some kind of back and forth communication with at least half of those guys are going to drop off at some point and just stop talking to you. Even if you're in the middle of like maybe getting a little deeper or sharing a little bit, something personal or relevant or interesting. And then of those, uh, 10%, only about Four of them are going, only about 4% are actually going to ask you on a date. And of those that ask you on a date, only one of them is probably going to show up. This is what online dating has been like for 15 years for me. Um, one of the things that I'm doing differently though, and I don't know that this is actually helping or not. It's a little too early. I've only been on the app for like seven days now. But um, I've been listening to clips from Do the Work podcast, which is all about a codependent dater, a woman very similar to me who's had very similar experiences, and she's, she's making changes just like we're all making changes. One of the things that she suggested was that you don't want to – go for your type. If your type is what has always flaked on you, always been emotionally unavailable, always played around with your mind, always um, disappointed you, always hurt you, then maybe you shouldn't go for that type. And it's very unfortunate for me because I'm not sure I can ever really... <laughs> Uh, leave my type. And so that's, that's a very positive challenge for me to be facing right now is, can I sit in the discomfort of dating someone who I'm not hugely attracted to? 
And so since I've been listening to this podcast and, you know, other therapists and, and life coaches and dating coaches on Instagram, one of the things that I've gathered and I've never been, I've always known that certain men were this way, but I've never had a name for it. So I'm, I'm, I'm gathering some terminology that is really helping me identify what I see in front of me when I'm dealing with certain types of men, especially the ones that are my type. So one of the terms that I've learned is novelty seeking behavior, novelty seeking behavior. Now, this can be misdiagnosed as impulse control issues. This could be misdiagnosed as uh, manic in the bipolar, manic depressive bipolar. This could be seen as someone who has a high turnover in relationships and partners, but yet doesn't quite have BPD. Novelty seeking behavior is those men and sometimes women who are always looking for a shiny object, but they don't value the object once they get it. They're always looking for that new toy, that new job, that new girlfriend, that new boyfriend, that new experience, that new vacation. People who, who are novelty seekers, I am now beginning to understand that these people are not adventurous and heroic and brave. I need to start looking at what the other side of what that means. Novelty seekers are people who are running from themselves. They always think the grass is going to be greener somewhere else. And they're always looking for that. So that's novelty seeking behavior. And I've really had to check myself as well and think about what that means and all the times in my life I myself have been a novelty seeker. And um, I myself have thought of myself as brave and adventurous and, and, and uh, maybe it wasn't always in my best interest interest to be in as many places doing up as many things and being as up in as many people's business as I have. I'm starting to see that about myself. I don't think that I'm a novelty seeker in terms of how I date because I have always been very intentional and I am relationship minded. I'm not looking for the next guy, the next guy, the next guy. But I think in other ways of my life, I've definitely been a novelty seeker. And that's part of the BPD. That's part of the anxiety. That's part of trying to distract yourself from sitting with yourself. Distract myself from sitting with myself. So that's novelty seeking. Okay, the next term that I've used, this, is, this one is great because it, it coincides so well with what I talked about in my podcast, in my episode about SLAA, love and what is it? Sex and love addicts anonymous. And what I've been discovering through, through that organization. 
So one of the things that came up when I first went to their website, I don't remember what page I landed on or might have been. I landed on the home page and then clicked on something else. I don't remember. Okay. But one of the very first articles that I saw was, and this was right at the top, it said, using people as drugs. Using people as drugs. Use people as drugs. And it's very funny because when I first saw that, there was a moment that came over me and I didn't know what I was about to read, but I knew instinctively that whatever I was about to read was going to be the answer to 80% of my problem in terms of relating to men and being able to find a relationship. Using people as drugs. What does that mean, Jenny? What it means is this is that for those of us who do not have other addictions, like let's say you don't overeat, you don't drink, you don't gamble, you don't smoke, but you have an addiction to love and sex in terms of the people that you have in your life give you a dope, I mean, sorry, an, a serotonin or oxytocin release that is so powerful to you because you've been so severely traumatized or maybe sexually uh, traumatized as a child or as a young adult or for whatever reason. That oxytocin release that you get when you first meet someone, first date someone, when you have um, uh, great chemistry with somebody, when you are having thoughts of limerence, fantasizing about this person, future faking about this person, um, uh, being delusional about this person, projecting onto this person. You are using that person as an object. And that object is the vehicle by which your drug of choice is delivered into your brain and your nervous system. And it all made sense. That alone was, was what allowed me to open myself up to that organization and learning more and understanding for the first time in my fucking life, the things that I've been feeling for men had nothing to do with actual love and had everything to do with the serotonin and the oxytocin release that they were giving me. It is a very difficult thing to admit that yes, even perhaps without my knowledge and without my intention for decades, I have been using people as drugs. So one of the terms that I've learned as a result, and this is the same concept, and it's very similar also to the last concept that I gave you. The same concept is another term called chemistry chasing, right? Now, when people talk about having chemistry, they're not actually talking about seeing 
the potential of being a part of each other's lives and actually uh, um, being able to live together, work together, do projects together, go shopping together, run errands together, manage the practical sides of the relationship, manage the conflict resolution. That's not what chemistry means. In reality, when people talk about having chemistry on a date, what they're talking about was their level of interest, not actual chemistry. Like if you think about high school chemistry, there were certain chemicals or minerals that you would mix together and they would have an effect. All right. That's not what's actually happening. We think the chemicals that we're mixing together are having the effect, but they're not actually doing that because it's too early to know. The first, second, and third dates are too early to know anything about the other person. We think we can gather all that information from a profile, a phone call, a few text messages back and forth, or coffee. We're crazy. We're crazy for thinking that. So when we go on those first dates and we think that we have chemistry with certain people, we are being delusional. We don't have chemistry. What we have is chemistry chasing. Novelty seeking behavior, chemistry chasing, sex, using people as drug. It is all the same thing. Chemistry chasing is looking, constantly looking for the person who gives you the vibes, who gives you the feels, who says the things that you want to hear, who um, pretends to be more interested in you than they are, the ones that want to hold your hand, the ones that want to give you that first kiss, the ones that say, uh, you're so rare. I haven't met anyone like you before. I can see us really doing something together. You know, that's chemistry chasing. The person who's looking in your eyes, the person who's being so chivalrous, even maybe unnecessarily so. Because I, as a trauma survivor, I, as a person with a uh, unpredictable and unhealthy family and childhood environment, I, as a person like that, learned from a young age that chasing love chasing passion, chasing uh, adventures, chasing curiosities, chasing the dark side, hanging out with the underdogs, being around the misfits, hanging out with the depressed kids and the gothic kids. I learned at a young age that I could get my serotonin and my oxytocin from that. So as an adult, I continue to chase it. And here's the result. Here's the unfortunate result. The result is I end up going with the hottest guys, the veterans, the ex-cops, the ones with the muscles, the construction workers, the, the musicians, the creators, um, uh, maybe other activists or pretend activists. I go out, I, I go for the ones that have the exciting lives, the interesting lives, the stories, the trauma the ability to be just as fucking lost as I am, the counter, the counter dependence, the codependence, the male borderlines, 
the ones with a lot of personality, the ones with opinions whom I agree with, the ones who pretend to have the same values as me, but what they're really doing is mirroring, mirroring, another big word. We should talk about that very soon. That's the ones that I go for. The ones that either stimulate me mentally or stimulate me sexually. I have, at 40 years old, as an adult grown woman, recur recovering codependent, I have no ability to discern or to feel anything other than that. An intellectual connection or a sexual connection. That's very sad. It means I have a lot of healing to do. But I am learning now that chemistry chasing is going to do this. It is going to bond me and probably trauma bond me to the wrong guys, which are the ones that are my type, which are the ones that, you know, I have so many problems with yet keep dating. And then what it's also going to do when you're a chemistry chaser is it is going to eliminate possibly good boyfriends or possibly good partners is going to eliminate them from my life very early in the game without me fully giving it a chance without me fully even not even giving a relationship a chance without me fully even getting giving a chance to to get to know them even a little bit better i'm depriving myself I'm self-sabotaging, I'm abandoning myself, and I do it over and over and over and over again. But now that I'm uh, trying to date, because I'm not getting very many dates, <laughs> I had four dates lined up and three of them have canceled. So um, anyway, yeah, chemistry chasing and novelty seeking. Definitely something you should be looking at if you're a codependent. And even if you don't exhibit those type of behaviors in yourself, um, the people that you have in your life, you need to look at them and you need to see whether or not they, they are those types of people. Those types of people are going to be a liability to you. They're going to be physically and or emotionally dangerous. They're going to be a little bit reckless. And if we are going to recover from our addictions, we are to seek stability in our lives. And having those types of people around and certainly dating those types of people is never going to work. So like I said in the last segment, um, getting back on a dating app as numerically disadvantageous as it is, um, I feel different. I feel different doing it this time. I don't feel anxious. I recognize that I have an anxious attachment style and I'm starting to see the patterns in which my codependency and borderline personality and codependence have, uh, have, have put me in the same traps. And I'm going to avoid those traps now. So like part of that is, again, dating, trying to date guys that are not my type. So not going for this tough guy shit. 
not going for these what I perceive as alpha males, not going for the dude who can be the life of the party, not going for the dude who's loud and boisterous and, and looking in my eyes and pretending to be romantic and, and finishing my sentences. I'm not looking for that guy, you know, because here's the trouble with dating men who are traditional masculine guys. Okay. Okay. So for me, you know, especially being a conservative woman, I've always recognized bravery and I've always valued it. I think anybody who's willing to give their life for a cause that's greater than themselves or for another person or to protect somebody is, is somebody who's worth knowing and it's somebody who's worth loving. And I know that, and God, I sound like I'm trauma bonding with myself right now. <laughs> You're going to hear the trauma bond in my, in my confession here, but I, um, I'm looking for heroes. You know, I like guys that are heroes. I like guys that are tough. I like guys that are not afraid to fight. I like guys that, um, are willing to be protective e even if that form of protection is completely false and completely pretend if they're at least acting like they can protect me, then I'm going to be drawn to them and want to be submissive to them, right? Well, in theory, all of that is true, right? Um, in theory, a man who is a veteran is going to be a man who's honorable, a man who's disciplined, or a man who um, is able to make sacrifices, a man who uh, is physically fit, mentally fit, and again, on, in theory, in theory, a man who uh, deserves my respect, right? Let's take a look at what dating an ex-cop is like, okay? In theory, we think these guys are protectors. In theory, we think these guys are uh, brave. In theory, we think these guys are moral. In theory... We think these guys are um, men that we can trust, trustworthy, responsible, dedicated, right? In theory, well, let me tell you something. I've been dating veterans and ex-cops back to back to back to back for the last five or six years. And I will tell you that in theory, my perception of them has put me in a lot of the same trap over and over and over again. Let me tell you what the reality, and this is no disrespect if you are a veteran or law enforcement, hopefully you are a better man than the men that I have had to deal with, okay? Or that I've chosen to deal with. Ooh, look at that accountability right there. Jenny, look at that accountability right there. You get five stars for that. Anyway, the reality of dating veterans and ex-cops is this. They're all very traumatized men, but they're tough guys. So they refuse to go get therapy. They refuse to talk to anyone. And yes, I understand the VA system and mental health services for law enforcement is not where it needs to be. But 
they should have enough money to where they can pay for their own therapist and not have to use the VA and actually get someone who's, who cares and someone who's good and someone who isn't going to um, uh, just medicate them, okay? That's, that's the responsibility that falls on a vet, especially a combat vet, all right? If we're going to do anything about 22 a day, my theory is we actually have to hold everyone accountable, Meaning no matter how fucked up you are when you come home, if it's that bad, you've got to get help. But again, they don't. They're tough guys. Going to therapy or talking to a doctor feels like being a pussy to these types of men. They feel emasculated by it. So what do they do? They become uh, chemistry chasers. Always, always, always needing sex because that is the only thing that can distract them. Sex is the only thing that distracts them. Um, A lot of them are adrenaline drunkies. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing because obviously if you've been in the military, you're going to be an adrenaline junkie. Just like as as a chef myself, like I am an adrenaline junkie as well. I get it. I get it. But It took me a long time to realize why I was an adrenaline junkie. It's all part of that novelty seeking and chemistry chasing, okay? A lot of these guys are 100% completely comfortable in their addiction. And because of the sacrifices that they've made to their country or to their community, they do not ever want to be told what to do, ever. I mean, and yes, there's a lot of civilians who've never served, who are toxic or arrogant or full of their own ego or full of their own pain or full of their own victimization. People like that don't like to be told what to do either, okay? But one thing that I've noticed, having a lot of vet friends and a lot of uh, guys that I've dated that have been vets, the idea of ever having to do what someone, whether it's a family member or a boss or a girlfriend, the idea of doing something they don't want to do, they're not going to do it. And they're going to give you a lot of shit about it. So that's the unfortunate dilemma that I'm in. It's like, I'm looking for men who are moral, honorable, respectable, men that are worthy of my submission. I'm looking for that. And ironically, the wrong place to be looking for that is with the very type of men that you think would be that. The very type of men that you think would be honorable are oftentimes not. And that's that's the big hurdle that I'm in, you know. But again, I'm challenging myself to do something I've never done in order to be someone I've never been and get something I've never gotten. I'm willing to challenge myself. I'm willing to, to, to date the guy who's not the tough guy. Okay. It's like tech bros and finance guys at this point, or even just a regular guy, a truck driver, a delivery driver. Those guys make good money. Ladies, the electrician, those guys make good money. And oftentimes they are a bit more on the athletic side, but doesn't mean that they're doing the whole tough guy thing. (coughs) 
The beautiful thing about what I'm doing right now is I'm putting myself to the test. I'm putting myself to the test of seeing if I have grown in the last three years. And if not, if I have not grown mentally, emotionally, spiritually through therapy and 12 step, if I have not, the question is, how do I go deeper with my inner child and do the shadow work? Okay. And in what areas do I need to go deeper with my inner child and do the shadow work? One of the beautiful things about going to Sexual Assault Survivors Anonymous, and that is sasa.org, if you want to go look up materials on the website, sasa.org, S-A-S-A.org. Um, one of the beautiful concepts within those meetings is the idea that we as, I don't want to say we as women, but we as survivors, we have allowed our self-esteem to be in the dumps for so many years. And there were so many codependent relationships or abusive relationships or counter-dependent relationships or toxic relationships, whatever you want to call it. We've been in so many of those back to back to back to back that we've kind of become hopeless and, and we fall into this pattern of feeling like we don't have choices. We don't have choices in jobs. We don't have choices in men. We don't have choices in how we communicate. We don't have choices in who we date. We don't have choices in the friendship circles that we have around us. We don't have choices when it comes to setting boundaries. That is the lie that the trauma has told us for so many years that we've come to believe it and we make um, irrational or unstable decisions based upon that. Okay. The beautiful thing is now, and this is where my mindset has shifted. I have a choice. I have choices. I know I don't completely know my worth because, um, when I relapsed, I definitely didn't know my worth right then, but it's, it's like an alcoholic. Like if you truly have victory over your addiction, you should be able to go to a birthday party where everyone's having martinis and you be okay. You might be triggered, but you're mature enough and you're in control enough or you've given control to your higher power and now you can handle that type of situation. You should be able to go to a barbecue where everyone's drinking beer and still eat and socialize and play games and enjoy yourself and then leave if it becomes too much for you, right? That is the measure by which we track our progress, okay? So if I'm going to track my own progress with this, the way for me to see if the therapy has sunk in, if the shadow work is sinking in, if the 12 steps are sinking in, is to socialize. And that's my goal. Before, my goal was to find a boyfriend. So that anxious attachment and that people pleasing and that uh, fawning, all of that that I normally do, 
I'm not going to do this time because now I'm aware of it. And now I have tools to stop it. And I can communicate better. Maybe not that much better, but a little bit better. I choose my values. I choose what's valuable to me and I choose what's valuable about me. I don't need validation from anyone else, you know, and I'll explain, like, I'm, I'm going to give you some examples. I'm about to explain how much my mindset has shifted, how much my ability to remain grounded despite the turbulence of trying to talk to all these men and trying to figure them out and trying to read between the lines and trying to analyze their profiles and trying to talk to them. Despite all of that, I'm not putting that much energy into it. I'm not future faking or fantasizing. I'm not projecting. I'm not being delusional. I'm trying to see things for what they are, the way that they are. Okay. And that, that actually leads into one of my values, which I am about to share with you and how my values are what dictate my boundaries. I'm going to explain that concept. All right, so what are my values? You know, I have a lot of values, but I had to really, really think about myself. I had to think about every relationship that I've ever had and what was the deal breaker? What was the thing that I just couldn't deal with? And then after I thought about all those negative qualities, I had to think about, okay, how much of those negative qualities was the other person and how much of those negative qualities was me? So that, <laughs> that narrowed down the list a little bit. But uh, these, this is kind of, this is what I came up with, you know. So one of my values, number one, my time and my life. Um, I have discussed in past episodes uh, the fact that I was in a severe car accident less than eight weeks ago. Um, some of you, many of you don't know this, but I've actually been in several other near-death experiences or one and one experience where I actually was medically dead and came back to life. So uh, I value my time and I value my life. And I'm looking for someone who wants to live every moment to the fullest, who doesn't um, stay in the house being agoraphobic, who doesn't um, spend every day wasted on instant gratification and not, what's the word I'm looking for, not being motivated, okay? Not to mention, like, when I say my time, I also mean my time time, okay? Like, my clock time. Every day that I live, I try to be as happy as possible, to look as beautiful as possible, to smile as much as possible, to, to practice self-care as much as possible, to get things done and, and not be an irresponsible adult, to try to pay my bills, to try to, you know... Do, do the things, do the things that I have, I have afforded the privilege to do. Every day I live life to the fullest, even if it's a boring day, even if it's a day where, you know, all I do is work and then just say, come home and say, fuck it and 
watch YouTube for three hours. Even if it's one of those days. I always live every day to the fullest. So do I want to be with a man who's grumbling? Do I want to be with a man who's living in the past? Do I want to be with a man who's bitching about uh, meeting me for coffee and, and, and going on and on about how he's been catfished and he's been burned and, you know, he spent all this money. He, he planned a date and he spent all this money on some woman and she didn't show up or she was, you know, 400 pounds or whatever it is. Do I want to sit through that? I've been burned by plenty of fucking men. And yet, if I as a woman start discussing that, I'm going to look like an immature, unhealed, bitter woman. But yet somehow these guys online, they don't realize that they're making themselves also look like unhealed, immature, bitter ass women. They don't realize they're emasculating themselves when they bitch about everything. You know, like I said earlier in the, in the episode, I, ha- I have had four dates planned in the past seven days. All of them canceled except for one. And the one that didn't cancel and did show up, I'm not even attracted to. But I'm willing to go out with him again to find out. I'm willing to have one or two more dates to try to see if there's something we can connect with conversationally, intellectually, whatever. But anyway, let me get back to my point. The point is... My mindset, my mindset has shifted so much, thank God, that I no longer get offended when these guys flake. Because what I'm realizing is that these guys are showing me through their actions where they're really at relative to what their intentions are. Again, there's theory and then there's on paper. You know what I mean? Like there's, I'm sorry, there's theory, there's what's on paper and then there's what's in reality, what's on the road. You know what I mean? There's what's on paper and what's on the road. You know what I mean? (laughs) These guys are showing me. They're showing me that romance is not a priority for them. They're showing me that they're not willing to do things that are slightly inconvenient They're showing me that they don't uh, honestly have either the time or the will, the willingness to meet a woman even for 30 minutes. They're showing me that they're not willing to stay communicative with me and let me and keep me abreast of whatever's happening. So like, you know, yesterday... When, um, okay, a a guy that I had met pretty early on in the app, we had texted back and forth several times. We had FaceTimed on the phone through the app, of course, not with my real number. We had FaceTimed through the phone for an hour. And then he asked me on a date and I agreed to the time and date that he asked. Then, of course, the the day of the date, which was, was supposed to be Friday, of course, like clockwork, predictably, all of a sudden, uh, his boss called him with the project and they, they were supposed to meet a deadline and now the deadline is Monday. So he's got to work all weekend to get this project done. And of course, 
me being the, 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 the fawning codependent that I am. Oh, no problem. All right. So he reschedules with me for Monday. All right. I don't bother him all weekend. I'm not being anxious. I'm not being needy. I'm not being thirsty. I'm not checking in on him. He's a grown ass man that I've never met. Um, he's working hard and I'm going to leave him to it. I don't, I don't need to talk every day, but we did say that we would meet on Monday. We didn't say what time, but we did say we would meet on Monday. So, uh, Monday morning rolls around. I don't hear anything. I don't see any messages. Afternoon comes around. I reach out. I say, Hey, um, have you met all your deadlines? Happy face. No, we still have more work. Then he sends me a message. Well, or something to the effect of, I think I should be free later. So I'm not really super enthusiastic at this point because I'm one of those people again, and we're going to get to this in terms of my values. I like accuracy. I like precise precision. I don't, I don't like, I think, or I feel I like things that are quantifiable, measurable, um, visitable, you know, so he doesn't FaceTime me. I don't hear any messages from him the entire night. I don't hear any messages from him the entire day this morning. And so I think it's safe to say at this point, he's getting un- unmatched. And I did unmatch him. Um, I just don't have time for it. I am the type of person I will, and I make this very clear to men. I said, just be, I do work a lot. But I'm self-employed, so my time is flexible. I'm, I'm fully able to hang out at any time. You just have to give me a heads up. You just got to let me know what we're doing, you know? And if I can switch things around, I usually can and I usually will. I'm very open about that, okay? These are the same men that complain. There's no real women on the internet or, you know, I, I, I go out with a girl and then she doesn't have time for me or... They're all fake or they're all using filters and there's, there's no conservative women in Austin and there's no real, and all these girls are cam girls and they're bots and they're escorts and all they care about is money and six packs and six figures. And they, they tell me this, oh, it's so refreshing to meet you. It's, you're so beautiful. Oh, you're naturally beautiful. You don't need makeup. Um, oh, you, you know, this, that, and the other blowing smoke up my ass for days telling me all the same story about what shit women are available on this app. And here I am ready to be the woman that will show up for coffee. The woman that will talk on the phone, the woman who will switch things around so you guys can hang out or we could hang out and they shit on me. Now, the old mentality that I would have would be something along the lines of, why doesn't anyone want me? Why don't any of these guys like me? What's wrong with me that they can't even meet me for coffee? Blah, 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 blah. No, not anymore. That's not the mentality. Beating myself up for being beautiful, feminine, available, and emotionally ready is not what I'm going to do anymore. What I'm going to do is start seeing these men for what they are. Like I said, 
they don't respect my time. But that's not a reflection of me. That's a reflection of them. These guys aren't serious. They're not. They're going on the app, shopping around for women, looking at women, pretending to be willing to take things to the next level. But the truth is they're not. And that's okay. People treat you the way they treat themselves. This is the problem. I treat myself well, despite all the codependency. I treat myself well. And so I get very, very broken when other people don't treat me well because I don't understand why. Well, it's because they treat themselves like shit. These guys don't respect my time. They have no problem arranging a date with me and then not giving a fuck if I've cleared my afternoon or my evening for them. They don't care. And that's fine. That's the reality. What these men are, are, are basically showing me through their actions is that even if they did get meet a good girl, even if they did meet a great woman, even if they did, did, did meet someone who was an eight or a nine, who was interested in them being a five or a six, even if they did get that, they can't follow through. These guys aren't going to have time for a relationship. And why should my love life revolve around the shit that comes up in their life. I'm intentional here. I'm looking for someone who has made a choice not to do what is convenient, but to do what is necessary to make a connection. These guys want these guys expect you to live within 5 miles of them, be super hot be super empathetic, be super understanding, be dicked around by their fucking schedules or whatever the things that they say have come up in their life. Oh, something came up. A friend of mine, a buddy of mine, a family member that said, oh, a medical emergency, whatever. They expect that you are supposed to be on standby. So instead of me wondering why they're not choosing me, I need to say to myself, I choose not to pursue a man who treats me like I'm a standby chick. I choose not to pursue a man who cannot regulate his schedule enough to actually meet me for coffee. I choose not to pursue a man who's all over the place and not making any sense and postponing and rescheduling because how's how is it going to be if we get into a relationship? Is he going to is he going to cancel on me? Are are we is he going to be the guy that cancels on the fancy dates but then shows up the next day to Netflix and chill? Let me say that again. Is he going to be the guy who's going to cancel on the fancy dates? And then show up at my house the next day with a with a sob story and a and a and a an excuse and, and a and a whole ass fucking narrative about what happened and why he couldn't show up, but now he's here at my doorstep wanting to Netflix and chill. No, thank you. No, sir. No, sir. You can't make this can't make this shit up. <laughs> R.I.P. Kevin Samuels. All right, going on, moving on. So, um, gratitude. Another big value of mine is gratitude, all right? 
Now, this is going to tie into the whole idea of chemistry chasing and novelty seeking, okay? People who are not grateful for what they have are not people I want in my life. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be motivated. I'm not saying we shouldn't reach for the stars. I'm not saying that we shouldn't better ourselves. This whole podcast is about bettering yourself, okay? All the fashion and makeup that I follow is all about bettering myself. All the feminine, the uh, pro-femininity podcasters that I follow, all about bettering myself. The therapy, the 12-step, all about bettering myself. I'm not saying that. I'm saying is that generally speaking, people who do not practice gratitude, people who are not grateful for whatever shit that they have on a daily basis are not the type of people that are trustworthy. They're not loyal. They're not reliable. They're not stable. And they're always looking for the grass to be greener somewhere else. These are not the type of people you want to be friends with. These are not the type of people you want to have drinks with after work. If they're a coworker, these are not the type of people you want to date. And these are not the type of people you want to keep in your circle, period. You see, let's look at the three out of four that flaked on me. They weren't grateful for the opportunity to meet a real woman. They weren't grateful for the opportunity to meet a beautiful woman. They weren't grateful for... All right, so let me just clarify. Okay, side note, tangent. Okay, side note. Um, I am not a 10, but in Austin, I am. So like in LA, Miami, New York, Chicago, San Diego, uh San Francisco, I'm not a 10. I'm like a seven. Okay. But in Austin, Texas, I am a fucking 12. I'm a 20 out here. Okay. So just bear with me. Just bear with me. I'm not being vain. I am just stating observations. Okay. So getting back to the point, these men are not grateful that a 10 is even going to talk to a guy who uh, is five, seven, or who's a little bit pudgy around the middle, or who's maybe not so great looking. They're not grateful for that opportunity. They're not grateful for the opportunity to even talk to a woman who's real. Okay. And who's not asking them, oh, where are you going to take me? Oh, how much are you going to spend? Oh, you're going to do this? You're going to do that? Oh, I want to go here. Oh, I love these type of shoes. Oh, you know, I just love Marc Jacobs. Blah, blah. You, you, you're, they're, they're gonna, they have the opportunity. They're not grateful for the opportunity to even talk to a woman on the phone, even if they don't want to take me out, even to talk to me on the phone to have an intellectual conversation that they're not going to get from any other woman on this app or in Austin, Texas. So how you do one thing is how you do everything. So if that's the case, if you're not, if you are if you are going to trample on the pearls that are cast before you, then like the Bible says, I don't need to cast my pearls before swine. And I'm not calling these guys pigs figuratively or or whatever. I'm just saying Yeah, maybe some of them are pigs. 
They're not grateful for what is in front of them. They're not grateful for opportunities. So what do you think that means in terms of their life judgment? What do you think that means in terms of their uh, life choices? What does that mean? It means that when business opportunities come their way, they're always going to play it safe and they're never going to take risks. Even if that is a calculated smart risk to take that uh, will most likely greatly improve their lives or their business. It means these guys are, are playing in a fantasy world and they don't want to bring it into the real world. These guys are, this is the best analogy I can make. They're literally playing Sims. They're playing Sims on dating apps. They're shopping around, looking at women's photos, looking at women's profiles, trying to determine whether or not they're real or not, which I understand that's probably a tedious thing to have to go through as a man. But, you know, they're just kind of like hoping to find a woman that is the woman of their dreams and uh, checks all of their boxes from the three sentences that she wrote on the profile and the five pictures that she has on there. Um, They're hoping to find a woman who lives close. They're hoping to find a woman who just uh, kind of sits around and waits for them to be available, but uh, a woman that isn't going to require them to actually schedule things and make legitimate plans like a grown man that's what they want these guys want blow-up dolls they want stepford wives but they don't want to even put in the work to fucking meet one they don't even want to put in the work to find one i could be a fantastic stepford wife with the right man but these guys aren't even gonna fucking risk an hour of their week to get coffee with me. So again, gratitude. I'm grateful for everything. I'm grateful for my apartment, my vehicle, my, the few friends that I have, which aren't many. I'm grateful for, I'm grateful to be alive. I'm grateful to smell the clean air. I'm grateful for the beautiful Texas sky and the sunshine I'm grateful for this, these beautiful lakes and rivers that, that surround me and how happy it makes me. The nature out here just makes me so happy. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the bats under the bridge. I'm grateful for the delicious, healthy food that I have in my fridge. I'm grateful for the fact that I was able to spend $90 on pickles and olives and other pickled fermented vegetables last week. Yeah, I spent $90 on a bunch of jars of like olives and and pickled asparagus and jardinera, stuff that I want, stuff that I like to eat. I'm grateful to have that in my fridge right now. As, As fucked up as my family is, I'm grateful for the lessons that I've learned having been a member of that family. As fucked up as sometimes my career has been, I'm grateful for the talent that I have that, and the passion that I have and will always have for food. 
as fucked up as my love life has been, I'm grateful that I never got married or had a baby with any one of these pieces of shit that I've been with. I got out scot-free, to be honest with you. There's a lot of women and men who don't. There's a lot of women and men that are having their lives turned upside down because they married some piece of shit. And now they got kids. Now there's divorce, alimony, family shit, emotional shit. All this shit that they got to deal with, I never had to deal with. Yeah, I had a broken heart for months, sometimes years. But at least I got out scot-free. I'm grateful for my books that are on my desk. I'm grateful for my expensive-ass computer. I'm grateful for everything. So do you think I want to be with a man who isn't grateful for anything? Who complains and grumbles about having to drive 15 miles to meet me somewhere? You think I want to be with a guy who's so fucking scared to go on a, a coffee date? He's, he's been so burned because he got catfished and blah, blah, blah. You think I want that? No. Okay. So let's move on. Another value for me. Big, 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 big value. Um, truth, facts, and objectivity. They say that uh, the truth will set you free, right? Or make you free, right? And there is nothing that I am more sure of in life than that. Yes, ignorance is bliss and most intelligent people are slightly depressed or cynical and most ignorant people are much happier. But if you can find good life balance, one thing that I know is that the truth truly will make you free. And the truth is what frees me from my anger. It frees me from my pain. It frees me from my anxiety. It frees me from my fears because the truth is I know who and what I am. And I love and I know that Jesus loves me. My higher power loves me. My life, as crazy and tragic as it's been, it's also been wonderful and adventurous and exciting. And like I said, I admit that I've had some novelty-seeking behaviors in the past, for sure. Um, but good, I mean, knowing the truth of myself, knowing the truth of my disorder, knowing the truth of, of the source of my pain, knowing the truth of my origin wound, that is setting me free. And it's going to set all of you free that are listening to this podcast. That's what's setting us free. Is because now that we know the truth, now that the band-aids get ripped off, we can start dealing with that, cleaning, cleaning that festering wound and patching it back up the right way. See, I can't be with a man who won't do that. I can't be with a man who's not a truth seeker. I can't be with a man who, who just distracts himself from himself with instant gratification or alcohol or work or hobbies or gym or whatever. I'm not going to do that anymore. 
If someone can be truthful with themselves, the likelihood of them being truthful with you is grows 10 times exponentially. If someone can be accurate with themselves and be very self-aware, then the, the likeliness of them being sensitive and thoughtful and empathetic toward you grows exponentially. We cannot fall in love. We cannot get booed up and we cannot make serious commitment or partnership to one another with people who are just beating around the bush and dancing around the elephant in the room. Being objective is a huge value of mine. We don't have to beat ourselves up for having flaws, but we do need to be aware of our flaws and own the consequences that come with those flaws. I will not be with a man who won't do that. And like I keep saying, how you do one thing is how you do everything. So, if a man can't even be accurate with his schedule to me, He's not going to be accurate with his heart to me. If a man cannot um, figure out how to find an address, you think he's going to figure out how to communicate with me better? If a man cannot humble himself and say, I was wrong, when it comes to his job, you think he's going to be able to do that when he's at home? I mean, maybe, maybe not. Some people are covert narcissists. Some people are really great in the world and really shitty at home. It does happen. I'm not saying it doesn't. But think about the greater concept him here. How you do one thing is how you do everything. So if a man is not truthful, factual, accurate and objective, guess what? He's not going to be that with me. He's not going to be that at home. So again, wrapping it all up for this segment, I know it was a long one. My values will determine my boundaries. My values will determine my boundaries. Your values will determine your boundaries. The We now... We as codependents, as recovering codependents, we now, this is the beautiful part, we now have the playbook that we need. The playbook is us. The playbook is our triggers. The playbook is our non-negotiables. The playbook is now out getting to our destination. That's the playbook. And it's going to look a bit, little bit different for everybody who's single and a recovering codependent. But we now have it because of the work that we've done on ourselves and within ourselves, because of our shadow work, because we have decided to make a conscious choice not to abandon ourselves and not to self-sabotage anymore. We've made it a choice to be intentional. We've made it a choice not to fawn, not to fight, not to freeze. Not to flee. 
Well, we, we flee if we have to, that's for sure. No more toxic people. But because we've made choices, because we as codependents have drawn our line in the sand, that line then becomes the guidebook, the map, the itinerary to getting to our destination. And the best part is, no matter how long it takes us to get to our destination, we are finally in a place where we are grateful enough to appreciate the journey and have as much fun on this journey as we possibly can. And when we fall and we get bruised and bumped, or maybe we even get in a severe car accident where we can't walk, even within all of those challenges, we are happy to be here. We are excited to be here. We are here for the enjoyment and the abundance of life. And nobody can take that away from us anymore unless we surrender to have them take that for us, from us. We make the fucking choices now. We steer the fucking ship now. We're flying this motherfucking plane. Not them, not the past, not the pain, not the memories, and not the new people that come our way. They don't dictate anything anymore. We are the captain of the motherfucking enterprise. And that's all I want to say for this episode. And remember that you are the captain of the fucking enterprise. And uh, make sure to leave comments. Make sure to let me know that you're out there. You're listening on iTunes and Spotify. Leave a rating. Tell your friends if you're codependent, if they're codependent, whoever's codependent. Make sure you're telling your friends about little old Jenny over here with confessions of a codependent. I hope you're learning. I hope you're growing. I hope you're healing. I'm so proud of you. Y'all keep working the steps. It works if you work it.